Good. I'm here with uh, Dr. James Noke, sports and exercise medicine consultant. And today we were going to have a bit of a talk about bone stress, bone stress uh, injuries, bone stress reaction. Um, James, give us a bit of your background and an introduction to what we're going to talk about. Yeah, so um, I thought we'd quickly talk about bone itself, which is a bit of a quick overview and the terminology of fracture. So I mean, bone itself is, bone is living tissue like any other structure in the body. Um, and it's incredibly robust. It's hugely strong and that's you know that's, we have that impression day to day and it can take most of what we can throw at it on day-to-day activities in sport and exercise in our in our job roles um, if we think about bone um, a classic tubular bone a long bone we call them it's made up of hard outer bone like a shell um, and then as an inner spongy um, uh, softer bony cavity and as it has its own blood supply uh, its own nerve fibers its own pain fibers um, so like i say it's, it's a living structure you need to appreciate that um, it also has key cells in it which are responsible for um, bone production and those are osteoblasts and bone bone turnover uh, turnover so that's bone absorption they gobble up bone and those are osteoclasts and there's a constant delicate balance which is under hormonal control um, and they stay in equilibrium in a sense producing new bone what we call remodeling the bone uh, essentially into layers and that allows the bone to be um, aligned in such a way that it um, absorbs stress it absorbs load on it uh, optimally day to day now like i said bone can take most of what we, we throw at it um, on a daily basis um, but it is fallible and uh, if we um, throw enough energy at it, if you fall um, off a horse, you know, if you fall out of a tree, you're hit by a big rugby tackle. Um, sometimes that force is big enough to actually break the bone, the bone mm-hmm. fell. And that's what we call a fracture. Um, fracture simply is a, a posh medical term for a break in the bone. Some people think that a break and a fracture are different, um, but they're not, they're exactly the same. So essentially it's a, a loss of continuity in the bone, there's a gap in the bone itself. So with proper true fractures, we have, you know, that, that results in immediate pain, immediate disability. You end up in A&E, have an x-ray and probably have a, a cast or a plaster put on or an operation to fix it. We're talking about stress fracture here. So that, that's not really the same thing. And in fact, the term fracture here probably isn't that appropriate because actually very few of these stress injuries have a true fracture. A fracture line or a true break in the bone. Mm-hmm. So, scan or an X-ray, you don't necessarily or typically see a break in the bone itself. Um, rather, it's—I mean, I prefer to call them uh, bone stress injuries rather than stress fractures. Mm-hmm. I think it's a more accurate term. Um, but I think for the, for the purpose of this discussion, we'll, we'll stick to stress fracture. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a stress fracture occurs if essentially that that balance that I talked about earlier between the the bone forming cells and the bone absorbing cells that balance gets disturbed so too much stress essentially too much stress or energy too much strain is put on the bone repetitively over time most of the time the bone can cope with that um, but if that's if that's done repeatedly repeatedly on a daily basis and we don't give enough time for that that bone to recover and rest and remodel i.e heal 
then the bone starts to become unhappy. And that's what, that's what the start of a stress injury is. So we start to see an imbalance between bone formation. The bone starts to swell. You have increased blood flow into the bone and it starts to become painful, essentially. So that's the first sign uh, of a bone stress injury. We typically call that a uh, stress response. So that's that's early on a, on a early on the scale of, of an injury of a, of, a, of a stress injury. So James, if I could, if I could stop you there, so we're saying a bone stress response. This is where the bone tissue is being sort of broken down or stressed or um, sort of resorbed at a greater rate than the body can heal it and lay down more bone and, and sort of repair whatever damage that it's been put under. So this is like it's an ongoing process rather than with an acute break or fracture where suddenly the bone is injured. This is more something that's happening over time. More and more of the bone is being broken down and it's not having enough time to be built back up again. Yeah, that, that's exactly that, that, that's, that's it in a nutshell. So yeah, it's important to realise that it's, it's, a, it's a continuum of injury. So it starts as a, at a low level, on a, on a sliding scale. And then if the, the patient, the athlete, continues to apply load or strain on that bone that's unhappy, then the injury progressively gets worse and worse. So we start the, the stress reaction, which is usually seen in the soft bone inside the cavity that we talked about, yeah. or the lining of the bone become inflamed, which is very sensitive and painful. We keep applying load, it doesn't heal, it can't recover, and it moves on up that scale. The, we develop sort of small micro fractures in the bone. They coalesce and come together to form bigger fracture lines. The harder, more robust outer bone starts to get affected. And then that's when we start to see stress, true stress fractures. So we start to see a fracture line on whatever imaging tests we, we, we organize and, and um, that's part of the workup. And in very rare, rare circumstances, if we, that patient continues as able to push through pain and continues to load that bone, then it can actually progress to a true fracture, as we discussed earlier, the bone can actually fail and break. And that's very rare, mainly because by the time it gets to that point, the pain is so severe, you know, a patient or an athlete can't actually push any harder than that, so it's quite self-limiting. Yeah. Um, James, what, what sorts of people tend to get these injuries? I'm presuming it's mostly athletes and people who do a lot of high load activity. Is that right? Yes. I mean, certainly, I mean, I mean, potentially anyone can have a stress fracture. So it doesn't have to be sports related. It could potentially be occupationally related. It could be you know, related to basic recreations, you know, walking activities. So it can, you know, it can be surprising who can be affected by a, a stress injury. But yes, as you say, typically we see it in um, people who do endurance sports, so you know, long distance running, for example, or other sports which put a high, sort of a high impact load, mm. like jumping based sports. Um, typically, we see them more commonly in, in females, but obviously not exclusively. And there's several reasons for that, including uh, re issues related to um, something called Red S, which is relative energy deficiency in sports, and that's a whole different topic in itself, a huge topic. We might touch upon that later, but that's certainly a big risk factor uh, for patients having a stress injury. Okay. Um, patients who smoke, that's yeah. one of many things that smoking is bad for, um, and certainly patients who have had um, several stress fractures in the past. So having had a stress fracture is a high risk factor for, for getting up. Common sense, isn't it? Um, Makes sense. We also need to think about 
it's not, I mean, certainly patients who are, um, people who are putting a large, a large repetitive strain on the bone, so it's related to training, you know, patients who have increased their um, training volume or their distance, their speed, their intensity, or even factors like changing their shoes, their terrain, what type of running they're doing. There's, those are all things that can trigger a stress injury. So we sort of call those for training errors, training factors. Yeah. But also if a patient has a problem with the bone itself. So if a bone is vulnerable, i.e., for example, if there's reduced bone density for someone who, someone who has osteoporosis or osteoporosis, mm -hmm. um, or patients who have what we call metabolic conditions, that is thyroid function disorders, diabetes, um, those leave the bone relatively vulnerable to normal stress. Yeah. So a patient can put normal stress on the bone, but the bone is incapable of coping with those loads, simple as that, so the bone fails. Yeah. And the perfect storm is a patient who's overtraining or has a training error and has a problem with the bone itself, basically. Yeah, 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 that makes pretty, sense. It's pretty complicated. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, you can either have a problem with the bone itself in terms of metabolism, you yeah. can have a problem with your training in the sense that you're just putting too much load through the bone at a rate that it can't cope with, and you know be able to to recover properly or you can have what you call the perfect storm which is both of these two things combined and in the sporting world this would often be a case of someone with red s relative energy deficiency um, in sport and having a very high training load so that's as you say the perfect storm yeah um, how do we diagnose bone stress uh, response bone stress uh, reactions, stress fractures, how are they diagnosed? Well, first of all, uh, a clinical assessment. So this is what a story, the story that a patient gives and often give, give us a very good clue as to whether yeah. or what, what is causing the pain. So again, we just talked about, you know, maybe a sudden increase in training activity in sports. A patient has a background of these bony conditions that we talked about, or like I say, a history of a, of a bone stress injury in the past. Yeah. So those those certainly would raise our index of suspicion of a, of a stress injury, and then a thorough examination. So um, typically we see um, tenderness over the bone as irritable, in which there's a stress response. So just pressing or palpating the bone will bring on pain. And sometimes we see swelling in local soft tissue reaction around that bone. For example, if it was a metatarsal stress fracture yeah. in the forefoot, we might see the forefoot swelling. Um, we see um, what we call pitting edema, so you can put your finger or thumb into the swelling and it, it makes a little dent. Mm. So there's signs that, um, sort of clinical signs that, that can suggest that we're dealing with a stress fracture. Uh, and patients who describe, you know, certainly pain more on high impact, so that, that they're not able to run anymore, they can't run through their pain. Mm. That's typical. Um, in the early stages, sometimes patients can just about manage to soldier on and run through, through an injury, but as the injury progresses along that continuum that we talked about, that becomes, you know, becomes uh, unmanageable. Patients have to sort of back off a run or retire and sort of hobble home. So that's, that's fairly typical. And when it gets to a certain level, patients will complain of pain at rest or pain at night, which again can be quite, um, quite you know, that, that can certainly make us suspicious of a stress injury. Hmm. Beyond that, if we're thinking about tests or scans, then certainly, um, an x-ray can be helpful sometimes, but we need to be aware that an x-ray can often miss stress injuries. Mm. Certainly in the early 
early phase. If you're, if you're seeing a patient early with a stress injury, certainly within four weeks, often we don't see signs of a stress fracture on, a, on an x-ray unless it's very high grade if it's a, if it's a severe injury. Hmm. Ultimately, the, the gold standard in, in assessment is an MRI scan. Um, and that's a very um, accurate, a very sensitive tool for looking for, for bone stress. So an MRI can show up bone swelling, it shows up bright on an MRI scan, and we get a very accurate picture. And yeah. it's very unusual for an MRI to ever miss uh, a bone stress injury, whether it's a, a low grade or a, or a high grade injury. So ideally an MRI scan is, is the best test. But I understand that, I appreciate that a lot, a lot of people don't have access to an immediate MRI scan. Yeah, I, I think one of the advantages of having access to an MRI scan might be that if you if you have a really high suspicion that it is a, a stress fracture or a, a stress bone stress injury, um, it's it's sort of it's easier to convince a patient to really rest if you have confirmation on an MRI. Um, do you ever see patients who maybe have gone with this injury a little bit too long because it was not diagnosed quick enough and perhaps it was treated as a soft tissue injury or, or some other kind of problem? Yeah, we do see that. And I can understand that maybe in the very early stages, sometimes a stress injury can behave or masquerade like another type of musculoskeletal injury. It might be a tendonitis or a mm -hmm. brain. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, if a patient does continue to run through that, then the injury, again, it slides along that continuum and becomes mm -hmm. a severe injury potentially so it will take longer for that patient to recover uh, and, and return back to impact sport over time um but that's you know, that, you know that's a setback it doesn't mean anything bad i mean you know they will still recover from that injury it's just a longer time scale so, yeah tell tell us about the time scale and the kind of recovery the expected recovery time for a bone stress injury certainly it's hugely variable so i suppose it depends very much on um, the type stress injury so where the stress injury is um it depends how high or low grade injury is in the first place potentially so obviously a lower grade injury potentially you'll be able to get back to to impact sports or impact exercise early i suppose it also depends on what your goals are what your activity yeah. targets are so if you're just aiming to get back to gentle walking and hiking you'll be doing that quicker than if you're back you know trying to get back into a marathon training essentially um but overall i mean we're looking at you know it could be anywhere from six to 16 weeks, depending on the injury. Yeah. If it's a, a high risk stress injury, so there are a group of injuries which, um, um, for example, that affect the fifth metatarsal, one of the bones in the foot, the navicular. If you have a stress fracture of the, sh the front of the shin, the tibia, and some types of um, femoral neck stress injuries, so that's the top of the thigh bone, those are categorized as high risk injuries. So there's, those generally have to be much more cautious about the timescales, much more graded. Mm. Um, important to pick those up, mainly because they're high risk of not healing. That's why we call them high risk. The chance they don't heal on their own accord and occasionally need surgical or in intervention operations to fix them. Yeah. Uh, yes, we, we make sense to take longer and take our time over those and make sure they heal properly. Yeah. Um, some, some sort of let's say markers or pointers that I would have in my own mind if I if I see a patient who you know has pain and I'm sort of wondering okay is this a tendon problem is it a muscle problem could it be a bone stress injury um 
one of the typical things that I use is this crescendo pain. Is this a pain that's getting gradually worse as they as they go on with their activity? Where sometimes with say tendon injuries, you know, yeah, it's sore at the start, but then it actually gets a bit better as you go on, and then maybe it's more sore towards the end of your exercise again. Whereas with a bone stress injury, you know, it's just getting worse and worse and worse as you go. And then if that's combined with the fact that it's one, it's in one of those locations that you mentioned, so navicular, tibia, you know, uh, thigh, you you maybe want to be thinking, um, you know, sort of have it in the back of your mind that is this a person with a high training load? Is there some other reason why they might be having a bone stress injury? Apart from that, sort of in the history, the crescendo pain and the location of the pain, is there anything else that you think of, some other advice that you'd give to physios, how not to miss a bone stress injury and go on treating it as a as a tendinopathy or a muscle pain or something like that I don't think that I have missed one yet touch wood but um but uh any advice you can give me so I don't in the future I say it's difficult I think even most yeah. therapists or clinician has the capacity to miss it I'm sure yeah. I've missed best stressors in the past when it's yeah. I think we need certainly the crescendo pain is you're right I mean thinking hard about the history, the mechanism of injury is very important. That gives us the clues. We should be, you know, that straight away our, you know, that should be sending out you know, warning signals. And we should be thinking, looking closely at our bone, examining it, be, being happy that it's our main diagnosis. Well, we ruled that out as a main diagnosis. Yeah. Um, and also making sure we're following these patients up. So, you know, if there's any uncertainty, making sure you've seen them a week or two down the line. Yeah. If you're allowing them to continue exercising, having that that safety net in place. So yes, you talked about the crescendo pain. That's that's a typical feature. You know, often patients will run; it gets worse and worse and worse. They have to stop. With inflammatory or, for example, tendinopathy type of pain, that pain warms up nicely. They can carry on running. They can carry on in the gym, whatever it might be. Yeah. And then often sore afterwards the next day. The other thing you see with stress injuries is that there's almost like a, a lag phenomenon. So mm. patients don't necessarily have They'll, they'll run on, run on it and it'll be a bit uncomfortable, but it won't be necessarily that sore straight afterwards. But then two or three days later, that mm. pain will climb, that crescendo pain will climb. So there's that sort of lag, that mm. lag behind. And sometimes that can make things tricky. It can confuse us a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So when we're treating a patient, it's important to, keep, to be aware of that, how that behaves. Um, and to warn patients to be observant of that, that pain as we move through, through a treatment plan. Right. What about uh, treatment? How do we fix this? Are there any medications or shots or magic pills that we can <laughs> that we can give to patients to speed up their their bone healing? Well, short answer is no. Um, I thought that fractures <laughs> because they all get better, and you know I see I see huge amounts of these as a sports medicine doctor, and like I said, they all get better. There's very few exceptions to that, so it's a nice it's a nice injury to manage. Is this one of these injuries that sometimes I say to patients, there's not very much that you can do to speed up the, speed up the healing here, but there's loads that you can do to set yourself back if you want. <laughs> is this one of those? Exactly. Yeah. Is rest. So, yeah. you know, the, it, the, the injury has been triggered by overload and not enough rest, essentially. So we back off the provocative exercise, the, 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 the movements, the activity that's triggered in the first place, and we wind that right back. We think about the pain levels. And so and if a patient is in pain just walking around day to day, then we need to be very think very carefully about offloading that irritable bone in the early phases. And sometimes that might mean being in a boot if it's a foot and ankle problem. 
mm. or being on crutches or a combination of both until such a point where they're pain-free walking day to day. And then once they're pain-free walking around and we're confident about that, they're at a review point, then we can start to slowly increase their walking distance, their steps, monitor those carefully. Yeah. Listening carefully to pain levels, mm. the pain spike, thinking about that lag phenomenon we talked about earlier. And once we're building that, we start to build that up week to week. And then we can start thinking about adding in more exercise. So we can think about low to, non to low impact cross training, such as stationary bike, what bike, getting in the pool, so hydrotherapy. Mm. Then maybe adding in elliptical trainer. So slowly we add in incremental load over time, very carefully listening to the pain levels. And if there's a, a, a deterioration in their pain, then we can wind things back. And, and, and adjust accordingly. That's 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 how we manage this. That's the key. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important to make sure we're maintaining, you know, not just from a physical fitness perspective, but also from a psychological fitness, from a mental mm -hmm. health. If patients want to be exercising, so we yeah. need to, to help them cross train and keep relatively fit and keep sane in that sense. So that's that's quite our balance. And I think yeah. it's critical for physios to, to appreciate that. And if we don't acknowledge that, I think. Patients will often go off and do their own thing, so you might end up losing a patient or losing their confidence. So I think that's that, that, that's a key part of that. That's a really, really important point, just to recognise that asking your patient to rest might be a really, really difficult thing for them to do and to try to find alternatives, you know, to try to help them to find something to replace that load-bearing exercise with. Um, yeah. And, yeah, as I say, as we move through that period, we'll eventually get to the point where we can start thinking about entering what we call a return to running phase. So if we're doing it in a structured way, that's an important part as well. That's a point, that's a turning point, a difficult turning point. And it's often a point where patients can go backwards. So we have to be quite careful. We have to have a structured plan to slowly build back in impact activity, building up their distance slowly, hmm. building up their speed incrementally. And again, very close to carefully listening to pain levels. And that, like I say, that process can take anywhere, you know, up to 12 to 16 weeks and sometimes stress injuries. Depending, you know, depending on any setbacks. Um, yeah. Also, I think, you know, it's a side note, but a side note, I think having a parallel, you know, this is, this is an, what we call an active recovery phase. So having a parallel strength and conditioning program is quite important as well. So again, that helps engage the patient. It makes them feel like they're training to a certain degree. But we're doing non-impact sort of um, um, exercise-based training that's maybe addressing any strength deficits they've had in the past again that might be contributing to the original injury so you know we're, we're, we're being proactive through the recovery process so by the time they recover and they're back to running potentially they're stronger than they ever have been and are in a good position to uh, to minimize their chance of an injury in the, in the future yeah very good very good and um how do we prevent this from happening in the first place I guess going back to what you said at the start, the causes for this is, you know, overtraining and or metabolic issues. So, you know, how do we prevent it from happening? I guess it's thinking about those two issues really, isn't it? Yeah. So I think as we go through that, you know, we have during that recovery phase, we've got lots of time to think about that and explore it. So I think, you know, a good physiotherapist or a, a good uh, an experienced strength and conditioning coach should look closely at their training approach prior to the onset of of their injury you know what was the training error that triggered in the first place if we don't address that inevitably they will have another stress fracture in the future and when they go back to their training this current stress fracture will 
relapse essentially. So we need to make sure we that that's 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 ideal. So we need to look at look at what went wrong with training, find a balance there, um, and you know, you know, like I say, a good a good physical strength and conditioning case can certainly help a patient with. Um, we can look at the strength factors. So I just touched about just touched upon that. So we could be dealing with that as we go through their rehabilitation, through their recovery. You know, is there a strength deficit? Is there a problem in the way they run or move in their biomechanics? Sometimes there are errors there we can we can change or adapt. If there are problems with the bone itself, then sometimes we can deal with that, sometimes we can't. You know, we can investigate that, we can assess them for for their bone density, we can do a DEXA scan. So is there is there a fundamental problem with the bone density? And can we correct that? But it's quite unusual to, to see that unless we're seeing it in a, for example, a postmenopausal woman, you know, in an older group. Yeah. We can look at this. nutrition is hugely important as well. So if you know someone has a low vitamin D, um, uh, or there's other factors which contribute to low bone density, uh, optimizing their nutrition, getting dietetic input can be really important. Be important. That's an easily modifiable um, aspect of it. If we go back to what we talked about in terms of the red S, the relative energy deficient in sport, you know the key the key aspect of that is patients who who are under eating either deliberately or by accident through lack of education or knowledge. And with that reduction in calorie intake, that's the key risk factor for switching off the hormonal cycles and therefore changing the bone health, affecting the bone health in a, in a negative way. So again, making sure a patient has enough calorie intake day to day, addressing their low energy availability is, is, is critical. And again, that's something that's easy to modify, theoretically easy to modify. Yeah, yeah. People, a lot of athletes don't like to do that for the very reason that it they see it as a, as a way to manage their aesthetics or to you know to optimize their running performance essentially so, but they're all that factors we can change if we if we identify them early and we, we we approach it in the right way yeah yeah oh very good i think there was a lot of a lot of good and important information in this uh in this little presentation this little chat is there anything else that you were thinking you wanted to get across about um bone stress injuries um, anything that we haven't touched on in this talk that you wanted to get across or mention I think um, we covered all bases there. I think the only other thing is if we're if we're monitoring a, a you know we're, we're going through a, a bone stress recovery period, and you know, we think about we use um, pain and function as a, as a as a guide to recovery. There's very rarely a rarely rarely a need to do things like repeat X-rays and repeat scans. That's quite important. Um, you don't need to see a scan to, to assess recovery or um, monitor progress. In the rare um, circumstance that the patient isn't making progress, the pain isn't improving, um, there's any suggestion that there's a, a setback in terms of the healing of the bone, that might be a time when we think about other types of scans, for example, a CT scan, mm. which is a, a bone scan, um, so let's see if there's a, a problem with the unity of, of the stress fracture, the unity of the bone. But otherwise, like I say, a, a, you know, a very good physiotherapist has all the skills and has, has the tools to be able to see a patient through the recovery phase to monitor them regular review points um so if someone like myself as a sports medicine doctor you know i can generally take a back seat i can just take a take an overview and troubleshoot as and when as necessary but the most important person generally is, is the physical therapist oh james you know i love to hear that kind of thing good on you <laughs> it's true though it's true <laughs> no listen that's a thanks a million for that thanks for taking the time to talk to us about uh, bone stress injuries and if people want to reach you or um contact you or have inquiries where can people reach you and um how should they get in touch 
uh, can reach me through my, my pure sports medicine email, which I'm happy for you to give out and, and often found on Twitter. Twitter. Um, <laughs> James has a fantastic Twitter. You will learn a lot from James's Twitter. <laughs> um, follow him. Yeah, I'll put your uh, I'll put your handle in the notes at the end of this. Always happy to be contacted. Brilliant. Thanks a million, James. Have a good evening. Thank you, Evie. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs>